while Sean is helping Shirley come on up, I'm going to read her bio. It's pretty fabulous. So this is what you're going to glean this morning from what she has experienced, because God never wastes a hurt. So Shirley Lamoureux bio. Intense emotional pain caused by abandonment, abuse, and loss made Shirley desperate for change in her life. This pain was a driving force behind her radical encounter with Jesus on a January day in 1973. Since that day, her life has never been the same. The calling on her life to minister the love and grace and mercy of Christ to hurting people led her to be a lay counselor at her church for many years. She was also the director of singles ministry for four years and the singles pastor for six years. After her children were grown, she completed an internship with World Vision in the inner city of Memphis and then spent five years ministering in a poverty-stricken area in the Mississippi Delta. At age 57, she started college. Working as a registered nursing assistant at an adult care home to help finance her schooling. She graduated summa cum laude with a BA in leadership and ministry from Puget Sound Christian College and then went on to graduate school at the Seattle School of Theology and Psychology to become a licensed counselor. She was in private practice until she retired in 2018. Busier than ever in retirement, she continues with her calling to minister the love and grace and mercy of Christ to hurting people and to mentor individuals as they grow and mature in Christ. Her son, Rob, raise your hand, Rob, is in the back, is here with her today. I want you to know I got an AA degree from Grace Harbor Community College. Here is Shirley. Well, with all, with all that said, I'll tell you what my daughter tells me. Because that sounds pretty good, you know. It's uh, impressive. And my daughter says, remember, Mom, that God spoke through a donkey. <laughs> <laughs> he can speak through you. <laughs> so here I am. <laughs> I've really been looking forward uh, to sharing with you this morning. Do you realize that even though we don't know one another, that we share something in common? We were all born to a mother. If there was no mother, there'd be no me, there'd be no you. So that's why we celebrate. We're alive. We're here. Happy Mother's Day. <laughs> Growing up in Farmington, New Mexico in the 1940s, I was exposed to a lot of prejudice against the Mexicans and the Navajos in that community. Well, my parents didn't want their daughters to grow up with prejudices, so they taught us from a very early age to choose our friends by their heart and not their appearance. So from a very early age, the matters of the heart are what matters to me. 
God placed a calling on my life to minister to heart issues, to make heart issues the central focus, especially in my counseling. He actually put a seal on my destiny to be a heart specialist by having me be born on Valentine's Day. (laughs) So as a heart specialist, which by the way is quite different from being a cardiologist, (laughs) I'm asking you if you are ready for a heart examination this morning. If you spend any time with me, you will at some time or another hear me say, "Mm, the issue isn't the issue. The issue is the heart. Let me point out that our very salvation is a matter of the heart. Romans 10, 8 through 10, the word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. It begins in the heart begins in the heart. Whatever the situation, when you get down to the very core of an issue, you will discover that it's a matter of the heart. I'm very cognizant of my own heart issues. I don't want you to think that I've reached a mature age where I no longer have issues of the heart. So I'm going to share a couple of personal stories with you. Uh, to reassure you that God is still working in my heart. (laughs) I have a little Chihuahua Terrier dog named Max. Max is 16. He turns 16 in March. And for those of you that like this kind of thing, if he was human, he'd be 94. Max is deaf. He's partially blind, and he has arthritis. So I keep him in a fenced-off area in my living room to keep him safe. After some recent surgery, Max developed separation anxiety. When he can't see me, he barks. Not a cute little woof-woof bark, (laughs) but a single periodic His, his bark reminds me of the sound my smoke alarm makes when the battery's low <laughs> and it needs changing. Yeah, you know that annoying sound. Well, I'm mostly patient and understanding with the old dog. I can, after all, empathize with getting older. <laughs> One morning, I was in my kitchen baking and Max can't see me. But I had things to accomplish, important things, and tending to Max wasn't one of them. So I continue baking. Max continues with his annoying, single, periodic, (laughs) 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 (laughs)
I'm losing patience with him, and after a while, I step into the living room where he can see me, and in a very harsh voice, I say, Max, be quiet. Oh, immediately my heart is pricked, and I say to myself, Oh, my goodness, Shirley, you are yelling at a deaf dog. (laughs) See, Max wasn't the issue. Max wasn't the issue. The issue was I gave frustration a place in my heart, and and that became the issue. Here's another me story. I was heading into a parking spot in Safeway, going, turning in, a young lady come in the opposite direction, cuts right in front of me and takes my space. I had to quickly stop to keep from hitting her. My sweet daughter, who was riding with me, says, with a touch of admiration in her voice at her mother's calm composure, said, wow, mom, at least you didn't flip her off. (laughs) And... With a big sigh, I had to say, oh, honey, I did in my heart. (laughs) See, the issue wasn't the silly girl taking my parking spot. The issue was what happened in my heart when she took my space. The issue is always the heart. A new client came to see me walked in the office, sank down in a chair, and in a very dejected voice said, my wife is unhappy, and it's all my fault. Well, of course, it wasn't all his fault, but that was a great place to start. He was willing to look at his own heart rather than make his wife the issue. That wasn't the case with another client. He and his wife were having severe marriage issues and came to me for counseling. As I often did after an initial visit, I decided to meet with the husband and with the wife individually because their incessant uh, need to place blame on one another hindered a joint counseling session. In an appointment with the husband, I'm observing him as he's sharing with me something that happened that very morning and had him furious. His face is red with rage. He's animated and loud. The issue? His wife is an idiot because she did not know the proper way to open a cereal box. (laughs) He held no emotion in check as he described to me how she tore open the box, destroying that little tab at the top (laughs) so it will never close securely again. And not only that, she carelessly ripped open the inner bag, spilling cereal on the table and inside the bag. Well, I let him vent without interruption, and I quietly nodded my head to let him know I understood his frustration. And then I said, 
Now, let me see if I understand you correctly. The integrity of the cereal box is more important than the relationship. He got quiet for a moment and then acknowledged that he got my point. Well, yes, he got my point, but his incessant need to maintain control over not just the cereal box, but every aspect of his life and of his wife's life. And it stopped him from seeing that this is an issue of the heart where healing begins. Well, he soon stopped coming to see me. I wasn't surprised. Nor was I surprised when his wife told me they were no longer together. The issue is always the heart. There will be no healing if we fail to examine the intents and purposes of our heart and bring what we find hidden there to God. He's waiting to receive healing, kindness, love. He's waiting for you. As I've shared this story with you, you may be nodding your head and saying, as my client did, I get your point. (laughs) It's easy to see when it's someone else, isn't it? (laughs) But what about you? Are there people in your life that trigger you? Are there situations that cause you to flip someone off in your heart? Do you give frustration a place in your heart over simple things like a barking dog? Does your anger silently simmer beneath the surface, waiting to flare up at the slightest provocation? Did you really get my point? Is the integrity of the cereal box more important than the relationship. You can insert your own issue in the place of the cereal box. Is that issue more important than your relationship with your spouse, with your children, with your friends, with your family? My client made his wife the issue. So here's the thing. If you can make the other person the problem, then the blame you place on them for making you feel a certain way exonerates you from having to look at your own heart. You can feel good about where you are because really the problem isn't you at all. It's her. It's him. It's them. No, no, no. It isn't. It's your heart issue. Because the issue isn't the issue. The issue is the heart. What's in your heart? What's your heart's desire? Is it to be happy? Or is it to be holy? Is it to be comfortable? Or is it to be content? 
Have your feelings somehow replaced your faith? Let me share some heart scriptures with you. Psalm 19, uh, 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Matthew 6.21 and Luke 12.34. For where your treasure is, is there's where your heart will be. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Matthew 12.34. For the mouth speaks that which fills the heart. Mark 7.6. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. Acts 7.39, and our fathers were unwilling to be obedient to God, but repudiated him in their, and in their hearts turned back to Egypt. They didn't actually go back to Egypt, but in their hearts they did. Mark 7.21 through 23, Jesus is explaining a parable to the disciples, and he says, that which comes out of the person, that is what defiles the person. For from within, out of the hearts of people, come the evil thoughts, acts of sexual immorality, thefts, murders, acts of adultery, deeds of greed, wickedness, deceit, indecent behavior, Envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within and defile the person. All these things come from within. That's the heart. That's the heart. Where is your heart leading you? Back to Egypt? Back to being comfortable. Back to pursuing happiness, perhaps away from difficulty and hardship. The last two years have been incredibly difficult for all of us. I could spend the next few hours talking about the political, cultural, and religious issues that transpired during the pandemic. But those aren't the real issues. What is revealed in your heart in the midst of these troubling times? This is the real issue. I don't know if your circumstances will change in 2022. I don't know if your life-threatening illness will be healed. I don't know if your rebellious children will turn their hearts back to the Lord. I don't know if your financial situation will improve. I don't know if your broken relationship will be repaired. I don't know if your shattered dreams will ever be restored. What if nothing in your life ever changes? How will that affect your heart? If your circumstances remain exactly as they are today for the rest of your life, will you still serve him? Will you still serve him? So good. Come on now. Yeah. 
Will your life be a praise offering, a sacrifice to God? Will you live your life in a way that displays Christ in any situation? Let's take a look into another time in history when there was political turmoil, civil unrest, oppressive mandates for Christians, and real hardships for the followers of Christ. I'm talking, of course, about the New Testament church. What was it about the early believers? I think that's my signal to get a drink of water. What was it about the early believers that gave them such perseverance <clears throat> in the face of great persecution? <clears throat> in Acts 9, I shouldn't have had the water, I think. <clears throat> I was trying to be cute with the little phone ringing, and it backfired on me. <laughs> In, in Acts 9, we read the story of the conversion of Saul, later known as the Apostle Paul. <clears throat> we read about God's call on his life and the amazing change in Saul's heart as he's filled with the Holy Spirit and set on a new path. Converted from being a hater of Christians to being a man whose heart could not be swayed away from Christ by hardship. Paul knew he was condemned to die. He was, after all, standing on the sidelines at the stoning of Stephen. He knew the dangers of serving Christ. <clears throat> what gave Paul courage to continue proclaiming Jesus in the midst of unrelenting hardship? Let me share some scriptures with you as a backdrop for his bravery. Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, 8 through 10. <clears throat> Remember, Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel, for which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Paul was willing to lay down all his personal comforts for the sake of the elect, a higher purpose. He was willing to embrace suffering for the eternal purposes of God. His eyes were focused up. His heart was set. Paul wrote from jail in Philippians 1.12, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. Because of his imprisonment, many soldiers and palace dwellers heard about Christ. Everything happening to Paul in jail only served to make Christ more accurately known. They didn't shut him up by putting him in jail. His cell became his pulpit. Come on. Come on now. 
What if every time we shared the Lord, we shared the good news with someone, we ended up in jail? I wonder how long it would be before we quit sharing altogether. The followers of Christ in, in the early church were not pleasure seekers. They were not into self-fulfillment and being comfortable. They expected suffering. 1 Peter 2.21, Since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example to follow in his steps. Christ's suffering is our example. I believe those words were written on the hearts of the early believers in indelible ink. Christ's suffering, our example to follow. I'm challenged by the New Testament church, aren't you? The disciples and the early believers were not afraid of rejection. They were not afraid of hardship. They expected it. I truly believe that if they shared the good news with 50 people and 49 of those people threw stones, but one received and believed they would be excited about the one. What about you? Would you make the stone throwing the issue? Or would you be excited that someone just received Jesus? How did we get so me-centric? Our theme song seems to be, what about me? You can sing it opera or you can sing it country. The words are still the same. Me, 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 me. The early believers sang a different song. They sang a song of redemption. What about him? What about them? Eugene Peterson gave words to their song in the message as he wrote in 1 Thessalonians, no one left out, no one left behind. What's your heart song? What heart issues are surfacing even as I'm sharing this morning? As you examine your heart, what are you finding? We need to keep this present life in perspective. Don't let the brief fleeting years that lay before you become everything to you. Fear has been a motivating factor in the lives of many people during uh, the, the pandemic. You may have experienced a fearful situation. You may be experiencing fear even today. 1 John 4.18 tells us, That perfect love drives out fear. But this isn't something that happens automatically when we read that powerful word. It doesn't happen automatically. We have to trust that perfect love. We have to trust the absolute, 
unconditional, perfect love of God in order to surrender our fears to him. If I believe that my behavior can change God's love for me, bad behavior means he'll love me less, good behavior means he'll love me more, then I'm not trusting his perfect love and fear will still prevail in my life. God's very nature is love. It's the essence of who he is. The same chapter that tells us that perfect love drives out fear also declares God is love. God showed me a beautiful picture of his love through my autistic grandson, David. David is nonverbal, and his autism would be classified severe. Avoiding interaction with others and avoiding eye contact are traits of David's autism. If I were to take David's face in my hands, look him in the eye and say, David, I love you, he would look away. He would withdraw from my touch. Does that keep me from loving David? Of course not. My love for David does not depend on his response to me. I love him absolutely, unconditionally. I am absolutely crazy about David. (laughs) Well, there are times when God has wanted to have interaction with me. He takes my face in his hands and he looks in my eyes and he says, I love you, Shirley. And I'm distracted. I look away. I withdraw from his touch because I'm busy with other things. Does that stop God from loving me? No. 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 Yes, you're right. A thousand times no. A thousand times no. His love for me does not depend on my response to him. He loves me totally and unconditionally. He is absolutely crazy about me. God never stops loving. And even if you don't know him yet, he already loves you. He never stops loving me. He never stops loving you. He will never be disappointed in you. He will never shake his head in disgust over you. He will never slam a door in your face. He will never shout accusations at you. He will never keep a list of your sins and throw them at you when you're down. He'll never say, I'm so ashamed of you. There's never a last straw with him. He will never, never say, I'm done with you. He loves you, and his love for you does not depend on your response to him. You can trust God's perfect love. He loves you totally and unconditionally. He is absolutely crazy about you. Is your heart 1,000% convinced this morning that you are loved by God? Is fear holding back that truth? 
Remember, the issue isn't the issue. The issue is the heart. What has taken root in your heart that pushes away the perfect love of God? Let me ask you some challenging questions. These aren't judgment questions. These are search your heart questions. Is your heart ruled by fear or by faith? Is your heart ready for the unthinkable to happen? What is the driving force in your heart? Personal goals or kingdom purposes? Is your heart caught in the now or in the eternal? Are the values of Christ your values? Does his love course through your heart, giving life to everything you do? How many enemies have you loved today? How many poor have you fed and clothed? Are you truly a servant of all? How many feet have you washed? When your path crosses with an alcoholic, a drug user, a prostitute, a panhandling homeless person, a person with mental illness, are you repulsed? Do you turn away in judgment? Or does your heart cry out with the pain of seeing a lost and hurting soul? No one left out. No one left behind. The issue is always the heart. If I could become invisible and follow you around for a week, what would I discover about you? Would I see the fruit of the Spirit evident in your life? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control, faithfulness. Or would I see someone anxious, agitated, rebellious, worried, stressed out, fearful? How you act in secret is the real evidence of what's in your heart. It's in those secret times that we need to ask ourselves, what's in my heart? God knows the secrets of my heart. He knows the secrets of your heart. And he exposes those things in our hearts that keep us strong against him, not to shame us, but to heal us. Never to shame us, but to heal us. We do not get healed in our secrets. You have an opportunity this morning to examine your heart, to repent of letting the issues of the day become the issue, and take back your heart for the purposes of God. Allow the Holy Spirit access into that secret place in your heart to reveal those things in your heart that hinder you, that keep you from accomplishing kingdom purposes. Press in for salvation, for healing, for deliverance, for freedom. I've asked some hard questions this morning. I'm known for asking hard questions because I know that it's the hard questions that pierce the heart 
Was your heart pierced this morning? No. Were the issues that came up as I'm sharing that you think, ah, yeah, I, I see that, Lord. I see that. Remember I said, even if you don't know him yet, he already loves you. If you don't know him yet, make today the day that you meet him, that you say yes to Jesus. Allow the Holy Spirit to begin to do a work in your heart, even as I'm sharing, as the music is playing behind me. Allow the Holy Spirit access into the secrets of your heart. It's in the heart where we get healed. It's in the heart where salvation begins. The issue isn't the issue. The issue is the heart. Don't go home today with pain in your heart, with sin in your heart, with rebellion in your heart, with anguish, with despair. Let today be the day that you say yes to Jesus in every area, in every area. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We give you praise. There will be ministry after, after, the, uh, after we sing a song. There will be opportunity for you to come forward for salvation, for salvation. Today's the day. Today's the day. Today's the day for healing. Okay. Thank you for letting me share with you.